Welcome to the Dacus Report, hosted by Pacific Justice Institute founder and president Brad Dacus. For 25 years, PJI has counseled, represented, and defended people whose religious freedoms, parental rights, or sanctity of life have been obstructed or violated, all free of charge. We leave no one behind and level the playing field for Americans as they are subjected to the tyranny of the powerful. Now, here's Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, on today's show, we're going to talk about some interesting cases uh, dealing with religious freedom. Uh, but before we do that, I'd first like to talk about some other important matters uh, with another attorney, and that's attorney Emily Mimna, who heads up our office for Pacific Justice Institute there in Nevada. Welcome, Emily. Hi, thank you, Brad. Now, Emily, uh, there's a lot going on here, and I, I want to first start off uh, with the uh, issue dealing with uh, the abortion by mail issue. Uh, my understanding is that the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine has filed a lawsuit against the FDA. Uh, first off, this Texas lawsuit is involving uh, credible doctors, right? An incredible organization. This isn't just some fluff group with uh, without qualified uh, expertise. This is a very credible group, right? That's right. These, these are medical doctors who, as their name may imply, take their Hippocratic Oath seriously with respect to first do no harm. Because of that, they felt compelled to file this lawsuit challenging the FDA's approval and regulation of two chemical abortion drugs. Let's say, so cutting to the chase of this, uh, what, what's at the heart of this litigation? That at the heart of it is that the FDA illegally approved two drugs, mifepristone and misoprostol. You don't have to remember those names, just two chemical abortion drugs without, frankly, without properly vetting them and certainly not considering the safety risks for their, you know, their use as on label, which is to say to cause abortion for women and children, women and girls. Okay. Um, so, it, so the F FDA never actually studied the safety of the drugs is that i mean no they, they they did not conduct actual safety tests concerning how this would affect for example um taking these drugs how would that affect the hormones on a you know teenage girl while she's still developing they disregarded a significant amount of evidence that the use of these drugs to cause abortions has serious side effects and cause complications at a rate approximately four times greater than surgical, than surgical abortions. They, they disregarded evidence, they ignored evidence, and then they chose not to conduct the actual safety tests one would expect before approving such a drug for women and, and children, girls. You just said four times uh, more, uh, more likely to have complications than uh, the actual surgical procedure. I know the surgical procedures you know, could result in uh, you know, terrible situations. Uh, women have died at times. Surgical procedure been uh, had uh, permanent scarring, uh, leading to inability to have children later on. But this is actually more dangerous, more risky, four times more likely to have. Uh, they're likely to have complications if they go the, the this this pill route, if you will, this drug route. Um, you know, it seems like if anyone's out there really caring about women, caring about these young ladies and these. Uh, crisis situations, they wouldn't be pushing this, but their real goal apparently isn't health and safety. Their real goal is just how can we kill as many preborn babies as possible. Now, am I sounding a little brash there? What do you, I, Emily, what's your take? 
No, in, in fact, if you want to dig into the, the pleadings or the court filings, it's actually, I would say, even worse than that, because when you take, uh, when a woman or a girl takes this chemical abortion pill, one in five of those people have a type of uh, medical complication that requires additional medical uh, intervention. And, and here's the kicker, the, the FDA actually changed the, the so-called safeguards that were in place so that you only have to report an adverse event. You only report that if it results in death. So anything short of death was later not reported at all, literally swept under the rug, no files, no records made. So not near death, but just death. And we know that one in five have complications that need and warrant subsequent uh, medical procedures and intervention. Wow. Uh, you know, the FDA is going down and down and down on my uh, estimate with regard to their credibility, competence, and integrity. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen it in, in uh, exhibit its, its uh, ugly character in, in other ways to deal with COVID vaccine mandates, holding back information, not disclosing other information uh, and, and risks. So to me, the FDA approval isn't really worth much. I can't I don't feel like I can count on the FDA's representations of whether something is safe or not or approved or not. Um, you know, that's, that's very concerning. I know they, initially with regard to COVID, they said, oh, yeah, uh, ivermectin. Oh, yeah, you can't take that. No, it's bad. It's can't, can't take it. And now they say, um, oh, yeah, 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 that can be treated. Uh, you can use that to treat COVID. Really? Um, has, has ivermectin changed? Oh, no. Um, has the studies changed? No. Um, the FDA has changed their minds, and that is very dangerous and something you can't rely on. So that's just my little two cents there. So what's happening now involving this, this case and this litigation? Well, I, I would say, firstly, Brad, the District Court and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals agree with you, which is to say that they were, frankly, appalled by many of the actions or lack thereof by the FDA. And so, they, so the FDA lost in the District Court went up to the Fifth Circuit, effectively lost at the Fifth Circuit, and a unanimous panel uh, on the Fifth Circuit uh, issued uh, a temporary injunction until this proceeds further. And the Biden administration, the FDA, has appealed this as of September 8. They have filed a notice of appeal with the Supreme Court because they're not backing down. Well, wow. you, you, said, you said the entire uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously granted a temporary restraining order against the Biden administration, against the FDA, uh, in this regard, regarding this uh, just flippant uh, sending out of drugs via mail and uh, to, to people. I mean, that's really significant. That is not, uh, you know, a, a close you know, race, if you will. That's not like, you know, okay, let's reexamine the footage. That is a slam dunk of, of shame and disgrace upon this administration, and I want people to understand that as such. What they're doing is so outrageous that the entire Fifth Circuit unanimously uh, ruled and granted a temporary restraining order against uh, the FDA and what they're trying to do with this very uh, dangerous drug and, and, uh, and the subsequent consequences that result from it. Um, that's that's very very significant. So, the administration uh, is you know appealed. This means that the administration lost in the lower court as well. So, 
very significant. Uh, are those safeguards unreasonable that they're advocating? They, you know, they say, hey, we have safeguards. Are, they, are, they, are these safeguards unreasonable? Well, that's exactly it. They, the safeguards were minimal to begin with. And the FDA, once they, frankly, illegally bypassed the Administrative Procedures Act and approved the, this drug, the two drugs, they then proceeded to roll back these minimal safeguards. And that's where the, the court stepped in and said, no, 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 you're at least at a minimum before this you know, proceeds further. We're going to put those back in place. And those consisted of, for example, you can't take this drug and if you're more than seven weeks pregnant. They had said, nah, we're just going to extend it to 10. You have to see a doctor at least three times. They had said, nah, once is good enough. The, the court said, no, you need to have a doctor prescribe this. The FDA had said, nah, you don't need a doctor to prescribe these drugs. And I perhaps, perhaps most significantly, the court said, no, you cannot use USPS as your prescribing delivery service. You cannot send these things through the mail to any store, any state, regardless of its position on life issues. And, and on this point, the court was particularly sharp and critical of the FDA because here's what the FDA said in 2021 during COVID. They said, oh, uh, you know, national crisis, we need to make sure abortion is available at your doorstep through these pills, through the mail. And they said, and look, we've got this wonderful record where there's so few complications. And the court said, yeah, because you stopped recording all of the complications unless it actually killed the patient. And of course, you know, a successful abortion is one in which there's always a death. The death of the child. And so we're not talking about that death, of course. But, you know, they said you're only looking at if it actually killed the woman. And if it didn't, you didn't record it. You can't, You got to be kidding me when you say you have a great safety record to rely on. So the, the court was not impressed. Yeah. Folks, as far as I'm concerned, the the FDA has, has completely lost their credentials. They, they've lost their, uh, their trust. They've breached their trust. What they're doing is not about health and safety. It's about radical political activism at the expense of the health and safety of Americans, in this case, women in crises in these terrible situations. So what's the impact of these lawsuits? Well, it's, it's massive. Again, it doesn't matter if you're in a pro, pro-life state or a pro-abortion state. If you have a regime that allows uh, you know, a non-prescribing doctor to mail pills to to any woman in any state or any girl or any teenage girl, possibly, you know, without their parent, without her parents knowledge, it, it, it is, you know, it impacts every single state. And on top of that, it can impact even things like sex ed, where they're teaching children, girls about how to obtain abortions. And they're going to potentially be teaching you, OK, you live in a pro-life state, but you can still get an abortion through the, you know, your local delivery service. it's hard to overstate actually how important this is, particularly when we had this massive victory for life with Dobbs finally overturning Roe v. Wade, you know, allowing delivery of death, in my opinion, through the mail service would undermine a lot of that victory. So this is a crucial, crucial fight. Yeah, it's a crucial fight. I'm glad you mentioned public schools and and school boards uh, because this is another area where public education, public schools uh, are a real threat. Uh, to the health and safety of, of minors, of, of children, of, of, young, of young women in this situation. You know, we've seen, we at Pacific Justice do we, we've seen school boards, uh, you know, taking liberties with sex education and pushing things like this, abortifacients, haven't we? 
we, we have, and you know, it, all of this feels like, okay, well, this is national, this is going to the Supreme Court, what can I do at home? Well, Brad, that's a great example of what you can do in your neighborhood at your school board. You know, you can run for school board, you can show up to meetings, and you can find out what's actually being taught in these sex ed classes. And if you're a parent, you have the right to review those materials in, in almost every jurisdiction that I know of, and you know, to opt your child out of that instruction. Yeah, um, it's so important, folks, to be involved, to be aware of what's happening. And we at Pacific Justice have great information about uh, parental rights and resources on how parents can protect their kids, how they can uh, go into public schools, how they can use opt-out forms. We have those. all this information is available for free on our website out there at pji.org. Uh, there's a lot of great information that can be downloaded uh, dealing with public schools, uh, public uh, education and the policies and the rights of parents to deal with that. Did you know that PJI is the only legal defense nonprofit in America that serves state citizens by fighting state legislatures across the country to ensure unconstitutional or corrupt bills don't become unconstitutional or corrupt laws? That's right, for over 12 years, PJI's Center for Public Policy has generated success by standing firm in opposition to unconstitutional or immoral state bills, which makes it easier for our allies in the legislatures to kill these kinds of wrongheaded and even depraved pieces of legislation. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis, including our work through our Center for Public Policy, by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report. Uh, but you know, if, if parents still have their kids in public schools, uh, Emily, um, you know, it's, it's like a spiritual death camp. It's, it's very, very dangerous. So, you know, we're recommending some things for those parents who still have their kids in public schools. Uh, it can, can be helpful. But at the end of the day, I personally am encouraging parents to do everything they can to look at alternatives because public schools, if you just pointed out, just dealing with issues of, of abortion and, and sex ed, um, it's, it's very dangerous and it can be very, uh, very catastrophic. Um, we know that the, the governor of California is pouncing on a school district for their attempts to help simply to protect kids and respect the rights of parents. Governor Gavin Newsom, is, this is what he's doing, uh, threatening fines, etc. So uh, even when you have a, a friendly school board, it can be very problematic. We've got great resources to help parent-friendly school boards as well as parents at pji.org. Now, Emily, uh, switching topics here, I understand that in Nevada, the ACLU has filed a lawsuit uh, basically arguing that uh, Medicaid must pay for abortions. That's, that's correct. So in Nevada, our, our state Medicaid program has a, generally, there is a prohibition against using state funds through Medicaid to pay for abortions. There is an exception in our state law currently. So they already, we already pay in Nevada for abortion in the cases of rape, incest, or threatening the life of a mother. The ACLU, in its latest filing on August 28, a new lawsuit, is, is suing the state saying that, in my opinion, basically they're saying, you don't fund enough abortion, we need you to pay for more. And, and so they have filed this allegation that those three exceptions are not enough and that it is a fundamental right of women and girls to have access to an abortion and to have the state pay for it. 
So the ACLU is not satisfied with the number of preborn babies being murdered. Um, they, they want more babies to be murdered. Uh, it's a very cold-hearted organization, by the way, folks. Uh, the ACLU, it's not about civil liberties. It's about leftist and government control over your lives and their agendas, their radical agendas, to inhibit fundamental rights, whether it's religious freedom, parents' rights, the sanctity of human life. Uh, you know, I, I know I presently have debated the president of the ACLU on more than one occasion, and I will tell you, they have a different perspective. It was, it was actually in San Francisco before the Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and there I was debating the president of the ACLU. You know, Emily, I felt like I was, uh, you know, in Hades, uh, with an audience full of demons debating Lucifer. I mean, th- that's what it felt like. Uh, and yet, uh, the truth doesn't return void. And, uh, you know, when, you, when you're on a face-to-face uh, debate and you have truth, uh, you win, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the, uh, the forum. And I think we made a lot of, scored a lot of points. But uh, the ACLU has not, has not been weakened. They're still moving forward. They're still doing these things. So what's the goal of the lawsuit? The goal of the lawsuit is to approve and obtain Medicaid funding basically without restriction in the state of Nevada. They're representing a group called the Silver State Hope Fund, and their claim is that because of a recent constitutional amendment to the state constitution here in Nevada, the Equal Rights Amendment, they are claiming that it is denial of services on the basis of sex. So in this case, apparently only women can get pregnant. Um, in this scenario, according to the ACLU, women who can get pregnant are being denied equal access to funding for abortion because of you know we're not sufficiently apparently funding abortions as it stands with the three, in my opinion, overly broad exceptions as it is. So constitutionally, they are entitled to abortion funded by Medicaid. That is the position. Okay, now that's their position. Now we at Pacific Justice Institute, uh, PJI, you know, we opposed that uh, state constitutional amendment, didn't we? We did. And you, you always point this out, Brad, that you look at the title of a, a certain bill and it's almost always doing the opposite. Equal rights amendment sounds great. Why would you why would you oppose something like that? And at the time, so the way it works in Nevada, in a nutshell, you have to have two approvals through two different legislative sessions. And unfortunately, they did an emergency session that the Democrats in 20, 2019 in the last four days crammed it through in 2021 the legislature was locked down because of COVID. So lobbyists and advocates could not actually attend these sessions and many people could not have their voices heard through Zoom. However, those who did stand up for life, we pointed out (laughs) this will open the door to abortion. And I'm sorry to say that people who were supporting life were mocked. They were called chicken little. That will never happen. That will never happen. And now, of course, the sky is falling. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and now they're, they're doing exactly what they said they wouldn't do. Because it's not about truth, it's not about integrity, it's about uh, pushing forth their agenda. The ends justify the means, um, and unfortunately we've seen that happen before. So, uh, you know, this Equal Rights Amendment, it, it got passed in Nevada. How'd that, how'd that happen? How could it have happened? I mean, Nevada's a reasonable state, right? It's, how, could, how could they do that? Reasonable. Well, it is a reasonable state. I, I think you've called us purple, and I think that's probably true. Not fully red, not fully blue. And because of the contracted nature of the the legislative process, you know, four days, you know, only four days on the docket, as it were, in 2019, crammed through again in 2021 during COVID lockdowns, and then put before the voters, in my opinion, without sufficient explanation, 
again, you look at the title, equal, you know, equal rights amendment, of course I'm for equality, I'm gonna vote for that. And, and so it's part of it is needing to educate voters more. Part of it is trying to lift up the um, pro-life voice. And, and part of it, that the last piece really is that I think people were misled when the legislature, you know, when, when advocates said this will open the door to abortion and the legislature responded, no, no, it won't. And here we are. Now, the last thing I'll say though, is that when we have losses like this, we didn't successfully oppose this amendment. We still have the legislative record, and that is a very valuable litigation mm. tool. Right, right. Well, so what happens now? So, so this is going to go forward in the state court, and I like to think that the advocates, um, those defending our current regime, not universally funding abortion, will be able to point to this record and say, look, we have it here. We have it here when the pro-lifers said, this is going to open a door you don't want to walk through. And so that can be used in court to show the intent of the amendment and to limit and to limit abortion funding. Yeah, uh, it's common sense. You know, looking at the original intent, you look at the legislative record, what were they saying? What were they promising? What were they uh, advocating that this was going to actually mean versus not mean? Um, you know, I, I think if we have level-headed justices, that's what they should be looking at. That's why I like our Supreme Court. The majority of the Supreme Court, they're about original intent. What was actually intended when this language was put into the Constitution, when this amendment was adopted? So I think that's a very reasonable, sane place to go. I, uh, let's just hope that Nevada has that reasonableness and, um, in, in addressing this, and, and the courts uh, do as well. The EEOC, mind you, I understand that they're saying that employers must provide lead for uh, leave for abortion. Is that right? Well, I don't think it's right, but I think it is true. That is what they're proposing. Um, to put it in context, last December, uh, in December 27, Congress approved. In December 29, Joe Biden signed a law titled the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. Again, sounds great. E equality, protection, anti-discrimination, protections for pregnant women in the workplace. So... How so that that that's what was passed, and it was passed again on this idea of a pro-family employment environment. Many religious groups, many religious persons supported this act. However, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, is tasked with uh, administering and enforcing it, and that's where we run into trouble. Yeah, that's the enforcement side. So <laughs> yeah, you you could have something worded properly. But when it's enforced differently than what was intended, then it becomes very problematic. And in this administration, unfortunately, Emily, I think you'll agree we've seen all too much of that uh, distortion of the law, distortion of the, of the codes uh, to, to push something uh, with regard to an agenda as opposed to neutrally enforcing the law um, based upon original intent of what the law actually says. So the act sounds pro-family, right? I mean, why wouldn't employers, you know, want to support anti-discrimination measures? Well, I think they wouldn't. As, as you point out, it, it is pro-family and many groups supported it on the basis of it would be great to support women who want to be mothers and stay in the workplace and provide options and support. And of course, an environment of, you know, free from discrimination. There is no mention of abortion anywhere in the text of the act. However, the EEOC in its rulemaking process gets to define terms and terminology. And that's where they have written in 
abortion or the so-called right to terminate a pregnancy. Okay, so then why is the, uh, the federal government now saying that the act requires employers uh, to provide leave for abortion? This doesn't make sense. Well, I, I certainly agree that it doesn't make sense. You, you, we should probably look at the legislative record, in my opinion, or the text um, from that, you know, that which was actually passed by Congress. And this is um, kind of a recurring theme, I would say, in the last couple of years before the Supreme Court, and this may, this may end up there as well, which is to say Congress passes one thing, and then the administrative state, the agency in tasks with uh, enforcing and administering this, this program that was approved by Congress gets to write and sometimes rewrite the rules. And that's where, again, we see abortion suddenly appearing where it was never approved by Congress. Yeah, Emily, I appreciate the work that you're doing, not only there in Nevada, but also uh, helping to keep track of what's happening on a federal level with agencies like the EEOC. Um, uh, these are, are serious times we're living in. And uh, when we see this kind of outrageous breach of public trust, of uh, legislative process, uh, for the sake of radical agendas uh, from the left, boy, um, I just greatly appreciate all that you're doing. Keep up the great work, Emily. Thanks, Brad. We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense all free of charge at pji.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms.